Oh, thank you. It's good to be back. I love it. <laughs> what a song. Wow. When you sang, It Is Well With My Soul. Was that last week or a week before? Oh, anyway, <laughs> I cried because my daddy used to sing that in our little country church. And it was just so touching. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And good morning. Good morning. Dear, dear friends, some of you of the long road, we've been together a long time. Others of you I haven't yet met, and I would like to meet you very much. I'm filled with gratitude today for Reverend Jill. Her ministry has been so precious, so breathtaking. She was so good with our family when Paul walked on. That's the uh, Native American way of saying he died. And her ministry to us was just priceless. I couldn't have asked for anything better. And to all of you who are behind the scenes making things happen here, Leah, the Fins, every one of you, I am deeply grateful and thank you. Your ministry is noted and appreciated very much. I've been thinking a lot about the hereafter at age 94. I, I go into a room in my house and I wonder, what the hell did I come in here after? <laughs> It'll happen to you someday. <laughs> Yeah, life is interesting. <laughs> and I chose this subject, The Dazzling Dark, because all of us have our times of darkness when the light goes out, when you're at a turning point in your life and something is changing, something is drastic, something has hit you like the train or the ton of bricks. And from that dazzling dark place, comes wisdom, learning, life. And so it is that our turning points in our life can be dazzling dark places. I um, want to couch this with three things, S-O-S, self, others, and society, with the idea that your light, this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine, let it shine. Let, did you sing that as a child? Some of us did, yeah. Well, you spent nine months in the dark before you were born. That's a dazzling time, isn't it? The pre-birth possibility. And whether it's a womb or a cocoon or a chrysalis, something is happening in the dark. There's a gestation, there's a fertility, there's a fecundity, and from it comes new life. You think of a seed under the dark of the dirt sprouting, if it gets enough moisture and sunlight. And dreams are a pipeline to your dark. I had a dream the other day that there was to be a new therapy. Um, and the basis of it was going to be your media. We were going to take your phone and copy all of your 
texts and everybody that you contact and watch what you watched. <laughs> and we were going to collect all of that as a diagnostic. And <laughs> it's not a bad idea. <laughs> and we would devise the therapy to fit what, what you're taking in. We are so hooked up now. Uh, oh, and I think he was going to call it um, the light of the world or something like that. That's my dream. <laughs> the unconscious mind, that part of us that we deny, that we know that it's there, but we don't see it and we don't understand it. And we can spend a lifetime searching it out. As I make up my own scripture about that, we project it onto other people. I would say it this way, that whatsoever thing thy neighbor doeth, that rattleth thy cage, puncheth thy button, pulleth thy chain, or ringeth thy bell, <laughs> that thing has more to do with thee than with thy neighbor. So your own shadow will rise up to meet you from the unconscious depths as you go through your life. I've had so many different experiences. At this age, you collect a lot of things that have happened to you from deaths and destruction and breakdowns. And having worked in the field of psychotherapy, I had the privilege of knowing people's secrets. And I can tell you there is much in the dazzling dark that the mystics used to explore that. They would call it the deep dazzling darkness where our ordinary ways of knowing are obliterated by the overwhelming excess of divine being. You are on your way to being a divine soul, having an earthly experience. There's a place south of Kingsville. I spent most of my life and career in Kingsville in Corpus Christi, Texas. And 50 or 60 miles south of Kingsville, you drive across the King Ranch where there's nothing. You get to a little place called Sarita. And that was the Mifflin-Kennedy spread, several hundred thousand acres. He was friends with the founder of the King Ranch, which was also used to be the largest ranch in the world until Cuba took back their land, uh, Fidel Castro's reign. So I would go down to Sarita, where the Sarita East homestead, the ranch house, had been given to the Catholic Church, and they created a house of prayer and silence called Leb Shemea. So when I would be working seven days a week and nights and weekends and be kind of ex had five children at home and a sister-in-law who had been dropped off to go to school, uh, it was a busy life, and I would be exhausted at times. So I would go down to Leb Shemea and spend the night living in a little small cabin with a screen porch and silence. You didn't talk to anybody. If you had to talk, you whispered. So it was a time of meeting and resting and rejuvenating myself. 
Uh, the library in the main ranch house had 30,000 books in it, vast library. And the priest and the two nuns were very, very helpful. They prayed with you and they uh, guided you if you wanted it. You could go for guidance. Uh, Sister Joan would often meet me with a new box of books. She knew that I loved to read, and so she would say, I've got a new box from Shambhala Press, and so I would spend my day sometimes sleeping around the clock because I would be so tired. And I would recommend to you to have a place where you could go and be silent and meditate and rejuvenate and restore your soul. It's a good thing for you. Ask yourself, is your life a puzzle or is it a dream? If it's a puzzle, it doesn't come with a picture on the box. <laughs> that will be hard for you to put together. I think you do the edges first. <laughs> So you get your edges set. And I kind of like to go up to the edge and look over and see what's beyond the edges. I've spent my life exploring what could be, what might be, what is. I love to delve into mysteries. And so is your life that kind of puzzle? Or is it a dream and somebody needs to pinch you and say, wake up? <laughs> And looking at others, they are the way that we wake up. It's through our relationships that we learn who we are and what we're about. And I think of early relationships. I've had two fathers-in-law. Didn't realize until I was preparing this little talk, both men worked for the Missouri Pacific Railroad. You'd think I would have thought of that before. Uh, Monroe Robinson in the 40s worked in the Roundhouse in Kingsville, Texas, um, basically repairing broken trains. <laughs> and he had decided to retire early. He was 56 years old and saw that he could take early retirement. So they had sold their family home. And this was before I married their son. But I knew them. And... He had bought 15 acres on East 1st Street in Austin. <laughs> Wish I had that property today. <laughs> yeah, they had grown up in Bastrop, both the Robinsons, and um, they wanted to come back and live near his brother who had married her sister, so they had double cousins in that family. And he had a heart attack and died. So they did not get to make that trip. He didn't get to finish that dream. And that meant in my early marriage in 1947, my mother-in-law moved in with us. Yeah, so I'll, I'll leave you with that. I won't go much further with it, except it was a dazzling dark period <laughs> from which I learned a lot. <laughs> she was really a wonderful woman, and yet I couldn't see it because, anyway, <laughs> there we were. The other father-in-law worked for the Missouri Pacific Railroad in Omaha, Nebraska. He was the yardmaster. 
and he would work at night, starting at midnight, and come home at 8 o'clock in the morning. So both sons were instructed to be quiet. They lived their life afraid of waking their father up in the daytime. And before he would go to work at night, he would help put the sons to bed. And during their childhood, he often would take them out on the front lawn, and they would lie down on the grass, and they would look at the constellations. They learned to find the Big Dipper and the Belt of Orion. And, and he taught his sons that the stars are your friends. So if you ever get lonely, just go out in the night sky and look up at the stars, and you see your friends there waiting for you, shining a light in your dark night. I thought that was one of the sweetest stories I'd ever heard. He also retired from Missouri Pacific and died before he could enjoy his retirement. So both those fathers-in-law had good lives and yet died early. If you're looking at your relationships, especially marriage, I think if you play the little game of a hypothetical marriage between your parents of the opposite sex, try that on in your mind if you're married. Uh, it would be Cora Barlow married to uh, Mr. Robinson or vice versa. My father, who was a high-tempered Scotsman, I love Outlander because of my heritage back to Scotland. Uh, <laughs> uh, if my father, Odie McNeely, had been married to either one of my mothers-in-law, it would have been a disaster. And so, because all, all of those people were strong-minded, willful, wanted their way, and there would have been hell to pay. It would have been bad. So play that game if you're married, if you're same-sex marriage. Just take the two strong parents and imagine a marriage between them. That'll give you a flavor of what your relationship work is going to be about. <laughs> yeah, play with it. It's fun. <laughs> I, I remember back when I was on the board here at Unity of Wimberley, and we decided that it would be a good thing to see what all of your, your strengths were. So we did the Gallup Strengths Finder. And we discovered that we had many people who were in the arena of relationship building. We were good at that. We had many who were strategic thinkers. They had lots of creative ideas. We had some influencers, quite a few. That means you can sell. Influencing means selling. We didn't have that many in the arena called execution. <laughs> I think one of you had the strength called arranger, and that's an executing strength. And I think you got really burnt out and tired and called yourself the lone arranger. <laughs> <laughs> because you were always having to carry the load of some project that somebody had dreamed of. <laughs> and so it was revealing to us, and we enjoyed having that time. I had a good time with that one. And that brings me to um, 
talk, I want to talk to you about someone who created a new world in my life. Um, at age 69, I was hired by Interface Inc. They made the carpet that your uh, feet are on here. They were the largest manufacturer of carpet tiles in the world. And the current CEO was the one who hired me as a relationship coach. And he began to fly people in the company jet to Corpus Christi, uh, usually a family, a couple. And I would do the work with the couple. And my husband, Paul, who had gone back to school after he retired from his university teaching job, and he became a play therapist. So he would work with the children, and I would work with the couples. And I established a reputation at Interface as someone who could help solve difficulties in human relationships. So eventually they hired me as a relationship coach. And I began to work with um, mostly regional vice presidents who were sales oriented. And there was so much rivalry and so much skirmishing for the prize that the competition was vicious and, and there was lots of distress and discomfort and poor relationships. I remember one such case where I went in basically doing family therapy. I used to see families in therapy and I wouldn't take a lone child from a family. I insisted the whole family come. And so they couldn't drop off their teenager to be fixed. <laughs> and, and it was enlightening to have, I learned the Native American way of passing the talking stick. And I found that families could get along better if they could communicate, basically. And that's what I did with the sales force. So I would gather the regional vice presidents around a table and we'd pass the talking stick and we'd do family of origin work. Uh, case in point would be two men who weren't getting along. And when we dug into the past life, the dazzling dark of their childhood and so on, we'd find things like the one was the oldest child in a Catholic Italian family. And the other one that he was at odds with was the youngest child in a large Catholic Italian family. <laughs> one of those men used to pick me up at the airport and he would say, are you gonna make us cry again today? <laughs> <laughs> so I learned a lot. I am eternally grateful to have that experience after I was 69 years old. And eventually, the founder, Ray Anderson, called me to his office, and he asked me, who is your client? Well, I had been hired by the CEO, but I didn't say he was my client. I said to Ray, Interface is my client. And he said, I would like to be your client. And I said, good, what would you like to talk about? He said, I've just fired the CEO. And, <laughs> and I'm moving back into active leadership in my company. I'm leaving someone else as chair of the board, and I will be back as CEO. 
and I'm going to need help with my management team. Now, Ray had read Paul Hawkins' book, The Ecology of Commerce. I don't know if you know that, but it's one of the early books on environmental sustainability. And uh, Ray had what he called a spear-in-the-chest experience. He saw the darkness of his corporate world and how his company was uh, polluting the Chattahoochee River and doing many other things that were wasteful and costly to the environmental health of our small blue or this planet that we live on called Earth. So as Ray was prone to do, he's a leader. Uh, he's, he has since walked on, but he began a process. He wrote first a book called Mid-Course Correction, describing shifting his carpet manufacturing empire to a supporter for economic, e, uh, ecology and environmental sust sustainability. And he began like an evangelist, crisscrossing the country and Europe and South America and Canada preaching his gospel of sustainability of the earth. The carpet that's here is reclaimed 70 plus percent nylon is, uh, has been, uh, they used to buy back old carpet and reprocess it. And so he began to do those kinds of environmental protection measures. And he, he shaped a world, changed a world, changed my world. I began to be interested in it. And I saw that he told the truth about our small planet and its resources. I've since met a young man who was a devotee of Ray Anderson. Uh, Ray's second book, by the way, was The Confessions of a Radical Industrialist. And it also told about us building the climb up Mount Sustainability, Seven Faces on the Mountain, that uh, was his new leadership in that company. So from the dazzling dark of a polluting world to leadership in the field of ecology and so uh, sustainability, I think you could see how someone had an epiphany that changed his life, but changed the life of many others. Recently, I met Chris Searles. Chris is a local Austin person. Chris actually was the son of one of the pastors of the First Baptist Church in Austin, which James Robinson and I attended way back when uh, we were in that mode. I've, I've had several religious uh, journeys. Uh, I've been Methodist. I've been Episcopal. I worked for the Catholic Diocese and so on and so forth. And I ended up at Unity of Wimberley. Here I am. <laughs> <laughs> so Chris, being the son of a pastor, had a kind of social consciousness. And he began to read Ray Anderson's uh, exposés, and he has now started his movement called Biointegrity, which is worth looking into if you're interested in the environment. Uh, Chris started with gathering donations for the rainforest to save the rainforest. 
let's say all of that to you to say that's our society we live in now. And I think there is a change in what's to come. We've had 2,000 or more years of pyramid-shaped structure in our world where you climb a pyramid, usually there's one person sitting at the top, a pope, a president, a CEO, some kind of leader that we look to. Uh, and now maybe we are shifting more to a circle where we pass the talking stick and each can tell their own truth and be who you are in your own dazzling dark to let there be light. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. So shifting from the pyramid to the circle, learning how to love one another, which begins with loving yourself, that's the message I'm wanting to bring you today. And I wanted to read you something we used to... I, I spent many years with Jean Houston in her mission. Uh, she went around the country during the Carter administration doing the possible human. So asking two questions, who are you and what could you be if you reached your own epiphany? You had your own spirit in the chest and you decided on a mission for yourself. And we started every mystery school weekend with this from Christopher Fry the sleep of prisoners. The human heart can go to the lengths of God. Dark and cold we may be, but this is no winter now. The frozen misery of centuries breaks, cracks, begins to move. The thunder is the thunder of the flows, the thaw, the flood, the upstart spring. Thank God our time is now. When wrong comes up to face us everywhere, never to leave us till we take the longest stride of soul men ever took. Affairs are now soul size. The enterprise is exploration into God. Where are you making for? It takes so many thousand years to wake. So will you wake for pity's sake? <laughs> so let's take these thoughts into some meditation now. Settle your body into your chair. Let your feet rest gently on the floor. And if you haven't already, close your eyes. Allow yourself to be in a state of relaxed mindfulness. Breathing in, breathing out. Just follow your breath. You are the light. 
you are infinite potential playing at being a person. You are the mystery of life made manifest. Celebrate yourself. As you breathe in and breathe out, if you truly celebrate yourself, how do you think you would feel? What kind of behavior would you engage in? We are all different. And yet we're all one, one soul, one body, one life, one world. We're different and yet the same. We can love one another and we can love ourselves. You are the light in this world and you shine so bright. Your life is a dream and you are the dreamer. We share this great dream of awakening and we can inspire each other. We can comfort each other. And we can walk each other home. And so it is. <laughs> <laughs>